Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast with your host, Pav Kara, your source of knowledge for all things relating to dental implants. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something valuable. I hope. Welcome back to the Dental Implant Podcast. And uh, I am uh, excited to talk to my very good friend, uh, Dr. Usman Haq, again. Uh, if you remember, uh, Dr. Usman and myself, we discussed short implants not very long ago. And uh, Usman and I, we recently were privileged to be, to, to, to be taken over to Meisinger in Germany. Uh, where um, uh, they've asked us to join uh, the, 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 the training team on their uh, global bone management network. And one of the reasons why I wanted to get us on here is because we're actually running a course on, uh, on, on, on autogenous grafting. One of the main reasons why I wanted him on here at the moment is just to go over our uh, our journey with like biomaterials and kind of like as our careers have progressed kind of like the the, the, the the why we've almost come full circle back to back to autogenous so it was just uh, briefly just introduce yourself again and then and then we'll just have a just have a chat basically so introduce yeah. yourself to titanium central titanium so. nerd central <laughs> so hello everybody uh i'm dr Usman hark uh i am a good friend of Fav's, yeah and uh and yeah yes. um basically i'm a peripatetic uh implant surgeon uh going around the country placing implants doing minor oral surgery and stuff um and yeah it's um it, it's it's weird because you know um the once you kind of get this it's like an epiphany, right? When it comes to autogenous, it's kind of like, you know, once suddenly it starts clicking, you're kind of like, wait a second, why, why didn't I do this before? Why didn't, you know, and I've been, I've been thinking quite a lot actually about, you know, about, a, you know, a lot of this stuff. Why, you know, um, why have I been using so many biomaterials there before? Why have I not gone down this autogenous route there before? And for me, uh, I, I know the, the the route for you might be might be different, but for me, I would say, I, I think the route for pretty much everybody is fear more than anything else. And then everything else after that becomes a justification for that fear, right? So you know the the idea that uh, you know the ease of getting stuff out of a packet, you know, you're told horror stories, like you're going to make the patient numb, you're going to get them severe, you know, uh, the second sight morbidity, um, you know, it's, it's, there's different varying kind of levels of fear. And before you start doing implants, um, you know, you're always kind of worried about, oh, you know what, I don't want to touch somebody else's implants. I'm going to own that case. I'm going to end up, you know, uh, it's, if something goes wrong, it's going to cost me thousands because, you know, having to deal with the patient. And the same thing with autogenous is basically uh, you've had that fear in your head that, you know what, I'm going to cause this patient a problem. I'm going to make this situation worse. And then you at the same time get bombarded by continuous messages saying, actually, you know what, we can we can justify that fear of yours and actually give you something that kind of means that you don't have to face that fear and, you know, kind of uh, and, and go and harvest autogenous and stuff like that. So for me, it was kind of more like uh, when I got really into the fact of, do you know what, I, I want to do uh, a practice limited to implants there only. Then after that, it was like, you know what, 
how can you do a practice that is limited to implants only and you're not doing oral surgery around the mouth you know you're you, you know you're happy opening a sinus but you're not happy lifting up a ramus flap to you know to remove bone or you've done you know multiple symphyseal flaps to remove cysts when you're an SHO but now suddenly it's like don't want to touch that patient might get a bit numb you know uh, even though you know the quality of the bone inside the mouth and stuff so yeah it's uh, I mean I guess we'll go through a bit more with this a bit later but um, you know I'm I'm not I, I'm not averse to biomaterials. I'm not one of these people who are just like, you know, ah, oh, get away from it. I, I would never touch it. I, I just kind of feel that um, there, uh, the problem with biomaterials is every biomaterial company is acting like their biomaterial is a panacea, basically, right? So it's like our biomaterial can solve every single problem that you can think of. You know, our our synthetics do absolutely everything that autogenous and xeno can do our xenos there can do absolutely everything that autogenous can do and that because of that you end up in a situation where you just kind of think you know what i can i'll just stick to you know what the what the companies are saying and unfortunately um we're getting to the stage there now where obviously we're placing implants and these implants are staying you know in the patient's mouth there for uh you know 20 plus years and we've got to be looking at what could cause a problem 20 odd years down the line and you can see that some of these biomaterial uh you know graphs and things are causing problems you know later on down the line so yeah with me it's i wouldn't say it's 100 percent turnaround but i'd say that's 90 percent basically yeah so i'm I, I think i'm in a similar boat to yourself and again what i'd qualify is you know we're not we're not sat here saying, you know, biomaterials have no place and we're not singling out like any biomaterial company. That's that's not what, you, what, what we're here discussing at all. I think probably the best way for me to describe it is when I was less experienced with surgery and with implants, there was a certain level of comfort taking it out of a packet because surgery is stressful enough anyway. And to think to yourself, well, effectively, I'm doing surgery twice in two different areas of the mouth. You're absolutely right. It's, 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 it comes it comes down to that fear. Um, and what I generally find is when so, when you're fearful of something or when you're nervous about something, it's purely down to lack of knowledge and lack of experience. You know, is that the number of people that I speak to who are uh, fearful about you know um, fearful about exposing a mental nerve. When I show them how to do it and they go, is that it? I was like, yeah. Then all of a sudden that, 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 that fear disappears and harvesting autogenous is no different. Um, and I think what's happened as well over the years is obviously you go on, uh, you go on courses sponsored by these companies. Uh, you get shown some good cases and you know, sometimes the, the material works very nicely. Um, I think there is uh, an aspect of uh, how you use it and in what situation you use it. Um, I don't think that any material except autogenous is a true panacea. Okay. Autogenous, you can, you can use absolutely anywhere. You really can, mm -hmm. as long as you're adhering to the correct uh, biological principles. All biomaterials have a limitation to some extent. Okay. And what I found over the years is, you know, I've tried this material and, you know, I've had mixed results or good results in certain instances and not great results in other instances. And the more 
experience that I've developed over the years. It's just like, you know, I, I need something more and more predictable every single time. Mm. <clears throat> and when you start to speak to uh, the, 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 the top grafters on the planet, um, you know, uh, you've, you, you know, if you're talking about Prof Urban, yes, he uses biomaterials, but he mixes a lot with autogenous. Yeah, in fact, the, 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 in terms of percentages, even when he mixes with autogenous, even when he mixes with a, a with, with a xenograft, the bulk of the graft is still made up with autogenous. <clears throat> and um, Balaji in the UK, you know, another friend of ours, you know, he uses he uses uh, Prof Urban's techniques as well, and you know, he uses a lot of autogenous. You, you know, when you want to when you want to start doing bigger grafting cases, mm. when you want to start doing more predictable grafting, I I, I think it's very difficult to, to to get away from. And one of the uh, as you said, as you know, you had this epiphany. One epiphany that I had is probably about seven years ago now, I had a patient where he was like, um, Pab, I had this implant placed 20 years ago. And um, unfortunately, the implant neck had fractured. And the implant was done by a very highly respected surgeon. You know, I've got a huge amount of respect for this surgeon. And it was done absolutely beautifully. And it was BIOS that we used. And there was, there was, you know, the implant placement was perfect, as I'd expect. You know, the restoration was absolutely, it was just fatigue that caused the neck of it to fracture. So we had to go in and we had to remove this uh, implant and then go back in and do it again. And bearing in mind that, and he knew that he'd had BIOS um, uh, placed because he was so organized. He still had the little leaflet, mm -hmm. which he uh, came in to show me. And so 20 years later, I went in and I took the, um, I, I took the, uh, uh, implant out. What did I find in there? Biowas granules, which meant after 20 years, it hadn't turned over into bone. Mm. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing because you can argue, look, it's been in place 20 years. Um, but for me, just my, uh, just my personal, my personal way of doing it, my personal philosophy. And <clears throat> this again comes down to the, the, the training that I've had. But people look at um, autogenous uh, incorrectly in that a lot of these companies where they come out and they say, um, uh, oh, yeah, you know what, is after six months, you have 50% bone or 60% or bone, whatever it is. And you ask them, what markers are you actually using to make that, to make that assessment? Mm -hmm. And it's normally just vascularity which actually doesn't have a huge amount more to do with, um, uh, with, with, with actual conversion of the biomaterial into bone. Mm. Because what I'm looking for is I'm looking for the same number of cells, the same health of the cells, and the same cell profile as well. So I want the same number of osteoblasts, osteoclasts, and osteocytes. Because those osteocytes, they're really important because they're the orchestrator, or, uh, they're the um, conductors of the orchestra, mm. which turn around and they, they orchestrate between the... Um, uh, osteoblast and osteoclast for true homeostasis of the bone. So if you haven't got the correct cell profile in there, you you are it's, it's not you know it's it's it, it's a potential compromise. Mm. And by the simple switch of just using autogenous bone, and the caveat that I would put on that is using autogenous bone in the correct fashion, um, uh, then 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 you know that actually you know what. It's it's live bone. It's vascularized. It's uh, it's got the same cell profile. It's just bone. You've rebuilt true bone, 
So yeah. that's kind of like the, 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 the journey that I've been on over the years. And as I said, you know, I've used synthetics. You know, I still use some synthetics sometimes. I still use other biomaterials sometimes. Because, you know, occasionally I'll get a patient where they'll turn around and say, I don't want you taking bone from elsewhere in my mouth. I respect that. You know, some people turn around and say, I don't want bone taken from elsewhere in my mouth. I don't want you to use animal products. Fine, that's not a problem. Um, but again, it's, you know, the vast majority of cases now, they're leaning more and more towards autogenous. And I've got to say, I'm really happy with the results that I'm getting. Yeah. I mean, uh that's the thing i'm i'm almost getting to the stage there where somebody is like really insistent i want to use a certain biomaterial um i'm almost refusing the case because um you know at the end of the day um it's the same thing with discounts and stuff like that you can give a discount to a patient you can basically use whatever biomaterial that you know you want who who ultimately takes responsibility for that? You know, it's the surgeon who's taking responsibility yeah. for it, right? So just because just because you're using the biomaterial that the patient requests, they're not kind of thinking to themselves, oh, you know what? Well, um, you know, uh, he's told me that this is going to work, you know, not as well as if I if he does it the other way. So um, so I'm going to accept that. Uh, you know, they're not going to accept that. If your implant fails, the implant fails. Um, and it's interesting you were saying about the, the turnover case. Um, you know, I showed you a case there a while back where basically a, a patient during the pandemic had gone to another another practice and basically had a ridge preservation graft, which I suspect now is with BioWAS having actually removed all of the graft there from it. Patient was told it was synthetic. Um, and, you know, like I said, I'm not against biomaterials it's just they have to be used in the correct way and basically if you're putting pure bioas into a socket what that is doing is that is freezing that socket in time right and what you need to do is you need to go back into that socket and get rid of the whole thing so you've got a kind of um, a run gap of space around your implant so that your your um you know your um your osteogenic activity can occur around the implant there and you can actually get true integration what you can't do is drill straight through that uh that bios and then basically then go and you know expect those bios particles to somehow integrate into your implant and like uh like i was saying i had that case that i showed you where patient during the pandemic had a ridge preservation graft they obviously uh, thought they were doing the right thing there patient told me it was synthetic and i just took her word for it ct scan seven mil wide bone um put in a, a four mil implant in there two weeks later they're just pus draining from the buckle right uneventful surgery straightforward you know 50 newton centimeter uh, of torque there very you know straightforward placement went back in there, took the implant out and literally just with a, uh, with a Lucas correct, just scooped out all this biomaterial. I mean, that's been in there since 2020, three years. And as soon as I drilled into it, the whole thing just collapsed. Right. And this is one of the things that we're going to be going through in the course there as well, which is like, you know, you, what you're saying is the more education you get, the more, um, the more your kind of mind changes about stuff. You know, I was always told when I was training about how superior block graphs were and things like that. And now, you know, obviously from, from the, uh, from, from knowing you can see that actually, well, you know, when you're block grafting is in effect a dead graft, you know, it's just a dead block of bone that you're putting your implant into. You know, I used to, uh, when I was training, I used to hear stories about, um, 
how uh, my mentees would basically go and do a block graft for, um, you know, for, for a student on the course. Right. And then they'll be saying, they'll be saying, oh yeah. And that idiot took it to the practice and then he put an implant in the block fell off and they had to put GBR on it. And I, I you know, you'll be laughing like, oh yeah, what an idiot, you know, it's just not, but, but actually it's because that block never integrated in the first place. You know, if that block yeah. falls off, it is dead bone that is not integrated, right? It should not be falling off the site there. So, you know, the, the, the main thing with any biomaterial use is why you're using it. Now, you know, we know that, you know, from what you've told and what I've just said there now, that BIOS has the ability to stay there for a long, long time. So what Rob Baretti does is he does this technique where if you've got a very thin, say, buckle bone profile, right? and you're placing an immediate in there or something he does an inside outside graft where he'll put like um an auto mix in the run gap next to your implant and on the outside of the buckle plate he'll put xeno on there right because he knows that xeno is not going to resorb and it protects the buckle plate that's on the inside you've got to be using stuff and know kind of how you know how it's working and and, and how to use it um and this is the way that I feel like, um, you know, shameless plug for the course there now, right? But basically, like, this is the way that I feel about courses. Because one of the things when I go on courses there is there's an expected level of the people who go on courses, right? And it's kind of like, it's a given, you're kind of expected to be able to do this or or whatever. Um, and I can go and I, you know, um, I'm going to be teaching on, on the course, you know, how to use safe scrapers, how to harvest bone, things like that there as well. Um, I don't actually use safe scrapers anymore. I use automat spurs. And the reason being is I'm more than happy lifting up a, a Ramus flap going in there at 600 RPM with the automat spur. I know exactly where it's going. I know I'm not going to hit the nerve and I'll just go in there and do it. Do I expect somebody who's done this one or two times to do that? No, you should be going in there, lifting your Ramus flap, slowly going in with your safe scraper, you know, and you do that 10, 15, 20 times, you get the feel of it. And then when you've done that and you say, do you know what? I want to be a bit faster or I want to, or I'm confident in that. I want to get a tree fine out or I want to get an, an auto max, you know, bone chip collector or something like that. Then fine. Then you move on to that level too many times i see i see courses where they're like just do this and it's like okay fine people are going to get into trouble from this because they um they're going to go straight in be told a particular instrumentation and something to use and it's not safe for them to do it at that stage but once they get the experience then it's like right okay in our course basically what we're what we're trying to do is make it that it's like okay fine we're teaching you the safe scraper technique. So I want you now to go back, do a safe scraper technique, show me in PAV five, 10 times where you've lifted a Ramus flap and done this technique, show us some photos. And then we can say, do you know what? You're able to do this now. You Maybe you can move on to the next stage, right? Instead of being like, oh, let's go straight on and do a massive, you know, <laughs> massive graft or, or a curry plate or something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? This like, you know, it's... Um, <laughs> you know it's, it's, it's difficult and this is one of the things that you're you're going to be teaching there as well as the bone core technique right and one of the things that i like yeah. about that is it gets people used to using screws right because you know if you're not used to using screws 
then how are you going to suddenly go and harvest the curry plate, drill holes, do all that kind of stuff? When you're doing something like a bone core technique, it's like, okay, I'm getting used to drilling holes into bone, screwing in there. It's not too too much of a um, of a um, of a involved process because I'm not harvesting bone from the ramus and and you know doing doing a much more uh, risky procedure. It's literally all within the window of where the bone is, but you get used to using screws. So you do multiple amounts of screws, and it's like okay, I know now how to drill a hole, how to put screws in. It's like you know I. I can go on about this forever, mate, but this is the thing is like, you know, now, like I don't even, I don't even use, um, like I just started using the, um, uh, the Ixos, um, self tap screws. Right. And they're, they're much more expensive, but they're kind of like this ultra sharp tip screw. Right. And basically I use it there for, you know, if I'm putting a membrane, even if it's say if I'm putting a PTFE membrane or something in, um, you know, I don't know about your patients. My patients don't like me getting out mallets and stuff, you know, <laughs> unless they're sedated, right? But I can get one of these ultra sharp, uh, you know, uh, self-tap screws and just, just screw those in there. And I'm less and less drilling holes there now. I'm kind of just using the self-taps more and more. And it's just one of those things, just because you're comfortable with doing it, then you can go to that. But I wouldn't expect someone to be like, oh, I want to use, just use self-taps. And it's like, you need to learn how to be able to drill a hole through a, uh, you know, a, a, a split bone plate into a, you know, uh, in, into the rest of the cortical bone without causing any damage and then use that pathway to, to put your screw in. Once you've, once you've done that, then yeah, okay, fine. Then you can move on to self taps and stuff, but there needs to be that progression. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a few things um, that I wanted to mention off off the back of that as well. So firstly, uh, with regards to Rob, I agree. He's, you know, he's a, firstly, he's, he's a lovely guy and he's, he's absolutely world-class. His stuff is, um, you know, he's, I know that he runs courses as well. And, and I agree with him. So <clears throat> the points where I agree with him is that, that's the indications that I use uh, a Xeno or something that's non-resorbing when we're going outside of the envelope. I believe that that that's the true indication for it. It's the same argument that 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 Rob uses. Rob, if you're listening, hi mate, how you doing? <laughs> um, and the other thing that you mentioned there as well is the difference between block grafting and split bone blocks. So um, our mentor Sharif Kuchuk um, uh, was he spent four years at uh, Prof. Prof. Khoury's, um practice. And Prof. Kuri is the one is basically the inventor of the split bone block technique or the Kuri plate technique. And um, it goes back to Albrechtson's data in 1982. Uh, it might have been a little bit earlier than that. What Albrechtson found is when you've got a block, a bone block, the angiogenesis penetration into that block is 0.05 millimeters per day. And if you've got particulate, it's 0.5 millimeters per day. So it, it, the, you get the angiogenesis into granular material 10 times faster than what you do with block. That's why blocks are no good, because by the time you've got angiogenesis through, it's already died. That's why you put these blocks in, you drill in six months later, and they, they, they just fall off. 
So what happens with the, uh, with I, and out of respect, I'm going to call it Curry's technique, uh, uh, Curry plate technique, because I think he deserves that um, uh, recognition, is because you've got a cortical, thin cortical plate on either side, and you've got this granular autogenous in material in the middle. The, so there's a few things that's happening there. So a lot of um, biomaterials, they are purely osteoconductive, okay? Um, uh, whereas... Autogenous is osteoconductive, osteoinductive, and osteogenic. It's all three, okay? When people say, you know, this is the holy grail of biomaterials, it's like, well, we've got one. It's, it's, it's autogenous. <laughs> you know, it's like, why are we gunning for something when, 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 when we already have it there? And um, so when you have that and you have a, a, the, the, the cortical plates on either side, and you've got this granular material, you haven't got angiogenesis or healing happening from one side to the other. Each one of those bone shavings, those bone chips, those autogenous bone chips, that's an osteogenic center. So the, the healing happens in 360 degrees from the inside outwards in every single direction. This is one of the reasons why it's, why it's such a powerful technique. And then going back to the other point that you made as well is, is listen, mate, you, you and I know when it comes to implants, everything is a progression, right? When you first start placing implants, you're not going to be doing pterygoids, nasalis, zygomatics. You build up to that. And um, it's the same, you know, you don't start off and, you know, your second case is a, a large lateral sinus lift technique. And the same is true with grafting and an autogenous grafting as well. Okay. So a lot of people start turning around and saying, well, you know what? You're going to have a, uh, a second donor site. It's going to be, there's going to be a lot of morbidity. Patients won't go for it. I'll tell you what, the patients will go for whatever you tell them is the best, whatever you tell them is going to give them the best result. So if you talk them out of autogenous bone, they're not going to have autogenous bone done. If you talk them about the benefits of autogenous bone, they don't have a problem doing it. And we don't always have to go remote. Sometimes we can work very, very close to the site where, where we're already working. But the whole point is, is we start off simple. We start off simple autogenous harvesting and ridge preservation, okay? Then we start off uh, simple grafting and ridge splitting, osteoperiosteal flaps, things like that, okay? And then once we start to get used to it that's when we can start to look at you know what let's do a larger horizontal graft let's now do a uh parallel um a technique um vertical graft let's look at tunnel graphs let's look at right angle um uh, techniques and and you know sandwich sinus techniques and all sorts of things like that um again a big mistake people make is you know i i, I was I, I was working with somebody this this was a while ago and they watched me use the piezo to harvest bone from the palate to use um mm -hmm. for for a curry plate technique and they were like i think i'm gonna do that <laughs> and, and i was like hang on Let's slowly build up your skill mm. over time because actually harvesting from the palate is not the easiest of mm. things to do. Um, and I think, you know, you and I have been down this route. You know, we're still, you know, I always say that, you know, I'm still learning. I'm still a learner. I'm, for, I'm forever learning. And the game's really simple. Stay curious and keep learning. As soon as we think to ourselves, we know enough, 
then we do ourselves a disservice. We do our patients a disservice. So I'm always curious, you know, and it may be that 10 years down the line that we're sat here saying, oh, look at this fantastic new biomaterial. Do you remember that time when we used to use autogenous all yeah, the time? Yeah, it'd be AI, <laughs> AI material yeah. that's come out. Well, at, yeah. at the moment, it's kind of like, you know, we've been through the process of using all these different biomaterials, you know, just getting stuck with them, having... Having okay results, don't get me wrong, sometimes you have great results. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you have okay results. And other times you have results where it's just like, you know what, I just need to take it out and start again. And for me, it's the predictability that I need in doing that. And that's kind of like what's brought me full circle to here. So for those listening, you need to understand, as with everything, you know, and this is true for everything in life. You know, is if you pass your driving test, you're not going to go on a Formula One circuit, or you're not going to go to Silverstone. You know, like two days after you've passed, you're going to build up experience. You're going to build up knowledge, and then over time, if you find that that's what you want to do, that's what you do. So, and and this is kind of like the point that we are trying to get across as well. In that, you know what? Let's show you the simple techniques first. You know, because I, I, I think that the uh, ridge splitting is grossly underused. Mm. Um, and I've got a lot of cases at the moment where I'm just looking at it and I'm like, I think what ends up happening, is we end up hellbent on preserving the volume of the ridge. Mm. And now I've got some cases where I'm like, screw it, take the tooth out, disinfect it, let it collapse, and then I'll rebuild it on, in, in autogenous, knowing that I'll probably just have to do a ridge split and, and that's yeah. it, we're done. You know, and again, ridge splitting is, is it's, it's a very underutilized technique and the the osteoperiosteal flap the osteoperiosteal particularly the eye flap is a is is poorly understood because uh the gentleman who invented it Ollie jensen again he's one of the best grafters on the planet he's just not as well known as what some of the other mm. uh, some of the other people are but basically the osteoperiosteal flap is a, is a way of doing a ridge split but maximizing the blood supply as well so you're more likely to have success and you can do some crazy stuff for that you can do some crazy crazy stuff for that so i think we we need to move away a little bit in my opinion mm. from being completely hell-bent on we've got to preserve this at all cost because sometimes that cost is now you haven't got bone now what you're going to do yeah you know and move yeah. more towards move more towards learning the skills to rebuild. And again, this I respect the fact that, you know, there's going to be a lot of people out there who disagree with us. There's going to be a lot of people out there who are like, I've used Allograft for 20 years that I have a problem. And we don't have a problem with you using that either. It's, you know, I, it's just my philosophy is, you know, in my mind, I, I'm just a lot more comfortable. And it's just like, you know, I've got real 100% bone that is fully viable, that I know is exactly the same as a patient's native bone, sat all the way around the implant. You know, and uh, when you speak to uh, some of the bigger grafters, they'll turn around and say, oh, if you do a really complex ridge preservation, you you know, you've got to engage native bone beyond where you've actually Mm. grafted. It's like, why? You know, is if you've grafted and it's in its real bone, you shouldn't have to do that. You know, so that's that's another reason why I've moved back towards autogenous. And that's the reason why I bridge preserve with auto because basically like I, the, the thing is, you know, going back to that fear aspect from, from before, okay. Uh, it was, it was just more convenient, open up packet, put the stuff in whatever. Now it's kind of like, okay, well, I, I, I've already numbed this patient up in the site there where I'm taking the tooth out 
I've also numbed up the Ramus at the same time. Um, and, you know, I'm, I, I basically, I, I, I usually do unilateral. So I basically like, if I'm, if I'm doing say an upper four, I'll, I'll be numbing up the right side Ramus. Right. And, uh, and I'll basically numb up both sides. I've got the tooth out five minutes, tooth is out, flap is up 30, 40 seconds, automax burr on. I've harvested, uh, you know, 0.5 CC of, uh, of autogenous bone within less than 12 <laughs> seconds, uh, of doing that. Um, and if I want more then that's fine. Because then, opening a packet. <laughs> without even opening a packet, um, you know, and basically what I then do is just harvest that out of the burr, pack it straight in the site there. The only, the, uh, the only thing that I generally use, which I, I guess is biomaterial, is um, is sealants um, because sometimes there, I find that um, unless you unless you got a big defect and you're doing like a you know connective tissue rotation flap or something like that, um, I can get quite good results there by just having um, autogenous scrapings or um, or using a, an, an automat spur, which I'll explain to you guys what, what an automat spur is in a minute. Um, and then basically um, just taking that, packing that in the site, collagen sponge over the top, figure of eight suture. I'm, I'm done in 30 minutes. The thing is, I go back in there in three months. I'll take a CT scan in three months and, you know, it's almost the same ridge. And I know, okay, so say that say the tooth was 12 millimeters long right okay fine um you know if i even if i put in a 10 mil long implant i know that is a hundred percent in autogenous bone from top to bottom right it's not like okay we had a 12 mil root i've put a whole load of biomaterial in there i need to put in a 14 to, to 15 mil implant minimum so that i can engage in some you know autogenous bone there after that i'm completely in autogenous you know so um you know it's and the thing is when you when you see the way that these cases look you know, sometimes you do a, you do a um, a graft there with uh, with biomaterial like like xenograft or something, and you go back in and you open it up, and it's it's got that biowasy look, like it's like gravelly on the top kind of thing, right? And you know, when you start drilling into it, it's like oh, it's kind of it's churning it up. And this is the thing when I was you know when I was training, I was told like you know um, if you're going back into a sinus and you've put like you know biowas or because we were using 100 percent biowas in in the sinus and i was told okay when you go back into that sinus then you know you better make sure that you're running the drill at three five hundred rpm rather than a thousand rpm and i was like why it's like well you turn the graft up okay now i'm looking at thinking that graft's not that stable if it's getting churned up at you know at, at certain rpms back in the day it's kind of like okay fine that's just that's just a given um, and sometimes you you know you you uh, you find that at that point then when you're placing you're doing say for example a sinus graft and you've just got uh, you know xeno in there or allograft or whatever and you say got three mils of height of of the patient's bone and seven mils of um, you know of xeno or allo then what is your implant actually in you know, say you put a 10 mil implant in there, it's only 30% of it is an actual bone. The rest of it is just in random osteoid, uh, you know, uh, that is around there. So there are certain tools. That I, call it, I call it zombie bone because I don't, I don't really know bone. what it is. <laughs> oh, that's, you know, yeah. it's, some, it's some sort of weird sort of hybrid bone. Yeah. And it's kind of like, um, you know, the... Uh, 
the thing is there now is that there there was always this kind of idea that okay you know what it's just literally easier just i've taken the tooth out there's like a um there's like a big um you know, effort to take the tooth out, for example, and then you're like, okay, do you know what? I really can't be bothered to lift this flap and do this and stuff like that. But this kind of goes back to the mindset, and this is another thing that I'm I I'm I talk about in the course. There, basically, I believe the mindset for the average person on um on <laughs> I'll get I'm gonna say something very strange in a minute, uh, but basically, uh, my my mindset. <laughs> when it comes to extractions, I believe for, for dentists is wrong. And I believe we need to make extractions great again, right? Because basically an extraction, somebody should think about an extraction the same way they think about a molar endo. Okay. This should be an event for the patient. You should be like, right, I'm booking in for an hour. I mean, you know, most people when they're taking a tooth out, they're like, right, 20 minutes, let's get them in. Let's get this tooth out. Let's get them out right? That's basically the way most people think about it. But with me, my minimum is an hour. I go in there, I numb the tooth up, I talk to the patient, I'm basically like, I section the tooth, I remove it atraumatically, I harvest the bone, I pack it in there, I put my collagen sponges, I suture it, I check it, I make sure it's all, you know, everything's all, all, all completely secure. And that may take me 30-40 minutes. And you know, we've got 10 minutes set up and 10 minute close down. Now, when I say to people, I take an hour to take a tooth out, it didn't take me an hour to take the tooth out, but it's the mindset of thinking, I'm I'm gonna charge that patient a certain amount of money, which is a, to the way that I charge, I charge equivalent to a molar endo. People probably think that's mad, but I, I my extraction, I ridge preserve everything, like literally everything, right? Even if the patient's like, I don't want an implant, fine, I'll ridge preserve it. You might need it and want it in five years, right? Um, every single time is like, this is what it costs. It's the same as a motor render. I book him in for an hour and I do the same procedure every single time. And the the reason the reason for that is basically once you start getting in that mindset of you know what extraction is not just an extraction your extraction is a means to an end so kind of like the way that you're thinking that you're looking at it and you're saying do you know what okay fine uh, this is going to collapse right you know sometimes you look at it and you think this is going to collapse so you just like do you know what i'll let it collapse i'll come back later i'll expand it or like when i look at it and i say all these walls are intact what are we doing let's just let's ridge preserve this let's get you know get get some uh, some uh, cortical scrapings in there or whatever and then i know that that is going to be a decent ridge there later on um thinking in that mindset you're you then get the idea that actually you're it's not a rush to get this tooth out it's not a rush to get the patient out of the door there and get them out of pain all this kind of stuff it is literally like I'm going in there, the extraction is the first part, then I'm going to preserve this ridge, then I'm going to suture it down, then I'm going to talk the patient through, and it's basically the first step on the journey that they're they're carrying on with. Um, and once once people think of it in that way, it's um it's a very different kind of idea, right? It's not just like then when you think of it in that way, then when you think, oh, you know what, I'm just getting something out of out of a packet, then you kind of think, okay, is I'm making enough effort there. I, that's not 
then at that point it's like you know i'm i'm not making enough effort to justify the fee that i'm charging there for the, for the patient and what i could actually do there for them uh which is which is preserving that ridge as much as possible um and that's that's why we designed the course the way that we did so there is a there is a clear progression so kind of like the first thing is you know uh what why autogenous is is beneficial and then basically going on to how we reach how we reach preserve in a very kind of simple manner by using you know ramus flaps and and um uh and uh safe scrapers and then progressing into um right now you can do that now we're doing symphysial flaps and we're doing um you know we're doing harvesting with with automats burrs and doing bone core technique and doing slow drilling protocols there as well and with all of that you've got a there's a thing you know this from basically from mentoring right there's a thing amongst people that they want to jump to that highest highest level as quick as possible right and the way that i kind of liken it is i i I had a, a schoolmate who became a vet right and he's got a friend who basically is his partner in the veterinary practice right his partner's never in that practice because he's always he's always down at woburn safari park doing these lion you know works on lions and elephants and all this kind of stuff right and the other guy who is my friend is like you know what yeah he gets bored of doing cat and dog cat and dog every single day and i love doing cat and dog every single day yeah. and that's kind of the way that i see me and you right like <laughs> you love that stuff whereas it's like dude i love doing these psychomas in these big cases and stuff like that and it's like yeah that's that's great and i also love preserving this ridge and making sure that i make a a, a nice easy treatment there for the patient and looking at you we get the same satisfaction when we're doing different levels of treatment and it doesn't mean that you know you could go and be like you know what i'm satisfied with knowing how to do a bone core technique how to harvest bone there and and how to do a slow drilling protocol and do straightforward simple simple grafting that's fine you, you don't need to go any further than that if you don't want to right if you want to however we can also teach you the other stuff on top of that as well um and yeah, you know, I I absolutely agree with you. It's you know, a lot of people, myself included, want to jump the gun, and and, and this was true when I was younger as well. It's like you know, even when I was the very first course that I did, uh, the gentleman who was um, who was teaching me, uh, Rich Brookshaw, and uh, Riz uh, Riz taught me as well. They were doing a lot of all on fours. You know, I hadn't placed my first implant yet. And I was just like, I want to do an all on four. And you have it in your mind that, you know, it's it's sexy to be doing all on four. It's, you know, it's you think, oh, yeah, if I can do that, then I'm an implant surgeon. And you start doing it and then you see people doing crazy shit. <laughs> you know, then you see people like Rich and Rizzo, they're doing, you know, they're doing zygomas. Like, okay, cool. I want to start doing that. Then you, then you learn that there's, you know, there's pterygoids, there's nasalis, there's transnasal. There's so this is why I'm saying, you know, the the, the 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 learning never stops, but we almost need to take it back a step that instead of wanting to do something for the sake of wanting to do it, because you want to be on the upper echelons of this, is we need to be like, okay, what best serves our patients? And if I want to get to that 
to, to that level, whatever it is, whatever you are. And there are some people who are like, they don't want to do that, but they're really hyper-focused on uh, really high-end cosmetic work, you know, and, and they get, get absolutely brilliant results. It's just taking things one step at a time. And again, this goes back to what I was saying, what you, what, what, what you were mentioning as well is don't jump the gun. You know, if you start to learn autogenous, don't let your second or third case be, you know, a, a, a quadrant vertical reconstruction because you're asking for trouble. You know, start off simply. Start off with uh, uh, ridge preservation. Start off with a simple ridge split with a simple horizontal graft and then start to build up from there. So one of the things that I've had reasonable, um, well, pretty good success with actually is um, I've had a, a few patients where, and let me be clear on this, the evidence suggests that this doesn't pre preserve ridge volume, um, but just putting PRF slugs into, into a site and suturing. When I go back three months later, the quality of the bone that I have is superb. And the reason for that is, is the PRF, you're creating an environment which wants to heal. You know, that's purely what it comes down to. You know, so when I do that, my aim isn't to preserve ridge volume. My aim is to give a, a, a site where, you know, the body wants to heal because it, because it's got all of, uh, because it's got everything that it needs. Now you make sticky bone out of autogenous mm. now we're cooking now we're on a now we're on another level uh entirely yeah um, I, th I, th I think i think it's a missed trick yeah i mean i just i um this is one of my favorite things to do basically because um also as well you know you know like i'm saying uh it's that change of mindset right so you know you're like i said you're spending an hour doing your extraction whatever Patients love it, man. They're looking at this centrifuge spinning around. They've got their yeah. bloods there. You take it out. You do this thing. They're like, whoa, you took this out of me. You're mixing this thing together. You get this thing that looks like, you know, um, uh, uh, basically like a, like a pineapple ice cream that you kind of made there together. <laughs> and and is basically like that is going to they, – they can't – you know the the concept of doing all that there together is 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 um uh you, the the science behind it is that basically you've got all of that potential there of the um uh, of the uh, autogenous bone you know the 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 osteogenic potential there the osteoconductive and osteoinductive there as well but also at the same time one of the big things that people are, uh, always complain about autogenous is it disappears very quickly right and there are certain techniques that you can use to keep that autogenous bone within your site when you're ridge preserving or keep that in a particular particular area there to to um you know to stop it slopping and things like that because it sticks to each other but um you know those the fact that it has all of those properties there is that the body just sees it as this great nutritional source and just just resorbs the whole thing away when you mix it with um and, and sticky bone there is slightly different because you're actually taking you're taking the prs slug but also at the same time you're taking prp so you're taking out two bottles there after after you know a few minutes and you're mixing that there together and you basically form like a ball it's like it's like calzonol basically like the you know when you form it there together you can roll it in a ball and then you literally just pack it in right and it's like that is going to stay there that is not going to move 
right? Especially when you combine that with techniques like ice cream cone technique there where you, you know, you're putting a membrane there to, to keep it in one zone. That thing is going to stay there. It just doesn't move, right? And if you're, if you're in a situation there where you're kind of thinking, okay, um, you know, when we're talking about progression, it's kind of like, okay, um, when I first started doing membranes, I was terrible at them. I was absolutely until I figured out a technique which is like okay you know I used to do suturing over it and that was my preferred because I kind of found it's the best way I could secure it I was never really that great at tacks and now I use you know self-tap screws which I, I find I find very straightforward um but basically you know you might find oh you know I've put this autogenous graft around I'm putting this membrane oh my god it's not fitting it's stretching the autogenous is falling out the side and stuff like that you make sticky bone out of it, it'll stay there. You stretch your flat your yeah. your membrane over. It just it helps you a little bit there with the handling and stuff like that there as well. So it's um it's a very nice technique to use. Um and actually actually on the course, you're gonna be taking my blood to actually do the do a demonstration there. So yeah, it's gonna um it's it, it's an be hydrated, man. Don't I'm gonna I'm gonna keep some weights on the side. I'll do I'll do a pump before, <laughs> before that. Just try. So um so yeah, I mean um a, a lot of these a lot of these techniques there are basically the the way that I look at it is there are certain things that um, that biomaterials have an advantage on, right? Not from their turnover, but in terms of their delivery, um, their ease of use, their handling, stuff like that there as well. And my thing was always like, okay, do you know what? If I'm if I'm going for autogenous, it's going to be so much more difficult that, you know, it's going to be so much more traumatic for the patient and stuff like that. The whole point is having the, uh, the education and the ability to do those techniques there on a patient um, while at the same time they're trying to make it as similar to those advantages of the biomaterials as possible. You know, I can, I can design something that is very easy to handle with sticky bone. I can design something there that is, um, that stays in one position, like, um, like, uh, Palachi's, um, GTO, right. You know, it's, you know, you, you can, you can make something there that kind of, you know, kind of stays, stays in there as much as possible. And, um, you know, you can, you can design things that have ease of delivery there. You can design things that, you know, are easy to suture, etc. You just kind of have to know those techniques in order to do it. And the, the, the main, you know, when you're looking at, um, I, I was, you know, um, I was watching a nature documentary, like a, a week or so ago. Right. And it's, it was about, I don't know why it's about Australian creatures right and and you know obviously they have loads of spiders and stuff out there and one of the things that they was talking about was this spider that makes extremely strong silk right and you know there's this thing that you know um spider silk is much much stronger than than anything that we can make it's stronger than steel basically right the way that i look at biomaterials is the same thing you know when when palachi is uh, who's an incredible surgeon like you know palachi is an amazing surgeon right he's like this GTO that we've created is like sticky bone, right? Or when they say like, um, oh, this this material turns over 50% into natural bone, 
right? Or this material, uh, this material there is basically uh, comes from the same species as as the natural bone. Every single thing is trying to be compared to that gold standard, the same way that that steel is being compared to that spider silk. But the thing is, it can't be replicated. Then, like we're saying, there may be one where you know, one one where you know, old guys you know, talking about, <laughs> talking about the olden days, we might be like, ah, oh, you know what? Yeah. This new material is amazing. You just sprinkle it in and it's like <laughs> the bone just grows and stuff. But r- right now there is, there's nothing like that. And kind of what I think to myself is, okay, if there was a, uh, a massive problem with trying to harvest um, bone on a patient, and it was so problematic that literally, like, if you were trying to harvest bone on the patient, there was a risk that they're going to, say, have a stroke while you're doing it, right? And, you know, that's a risk of any surgery. But say, for example, there's a very high risk of that. Or there's a very high risk of cardiac arrest if you try, if you open a flap around the ramus, right? Then I'd say, okay, you know what? Biomaterials probably a better option to go for, right? No. But the thing is, is that, the i think one of the reasons why biomaterials have become so high level is because the fact that when people are doing spinal surgery and things like that there as well they've got to harvest huge amounts of bone to try and uh and and kind of reconstruct these sites we're harvesting magnitudes less magnitudes less we've got much smaller sites to reconstruct right and what the one thing we've got to think about ourselves is you got to believe in yourself you can do this you're putting an implant in bone why can't you push that bone open what you know you can if you're if you're doing that if you're putting an implant in bone then you have the skills to have a mini saw cut um you know cut a trapezoid um uh cuts in there and push that bone open you have the ability to do that kind of thing. If you, if, you know, it's it's not that much of a of a massive step there on top of that. And this is the whole the whole thing about the progression is that you know there are progressive levels and you can stop at any any kind of stage. But I believe there is a level, uh, and I think I think you believe this there as well that there is a level that I think that all uh, people replacing implants should get to at least to know that they can do that procedure there if there is if there is any kind of you know any kind of issue you know uh, the the you know um uh, a rib split technique or an expansion technique there or you know a, a bone core technique things like that those kind of things there i think should be a, a normal thing that just every implant surgeon there can do as opposed to thinking oh there's a bit of a defect here let me get something out of packet and put it on uh, like we said you know those things have their place they you need to use them in the correct manner right but if the option of autogenous is there that's always the number one everything after that comes second if the option of autogenous isn't there right and 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 you got you got cases there where basically like uh, you know, if you tried a slow drilling technique, you just get a blob of fat coming out from the, <laughs> the uh, uh, you know, <laughs> of the osteotomy, right? Uh, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't be getting any bone there whatsoever. Then fine, we've got options there for 
you know, uh, for other kind of things. But it's um, the the one thing I, I've especially learned from our from our mentors that basically like the more you learn, the uh, you know, the more the more you realize you you have to learn, the, le- the less you actually realize you you know about these techniques, and you kind of think man, I wish I did this 10 years earlier. I wish I, you know, got to this, like, you know, uh, at, at an early, earlier stage there. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, people, when they, when they actually see the kind of things that are possible to do um, with, with autogenous techniques, um, I think a lot of people are going to be like, oh, what, actually I could, I could do this. I could do that yeah it'll be it'll be kind of like an eye opener for a lot of people um and you know they you're going to see a lot of that kind of that uh that progressive style of learning techniques uh you know on on that course i, I haven't just come here just to plug the course though i just i just kind of just like <laughs> just just wanted to talk about a, a lot about it because it's kind of like it's um you know there's a there's a lot of both myself and and you putting a lot of work into it to try and make it as memorable and as and as um uh and as uh as easy to understand for people as possible but i th- i think um i think another aspect of it as well is we need to be careful when you know when when a new company or an existing company puts out a new product and quite often what they'll say is oh compared to gold standard it's as good or it's better and you say to them well, what what do you define as gold standard and they they say, well, gold standards BIOS because that's what's been around for the longest. And, you know, BIOS has been around for a very very long time. Uh, yes, it has its place as as we've been dis- uh, uh, as we've discussed. Uh, I know Prof Urban, I know Balaji. They they, they use BIOS uh, when they're doing vertical graphs because they like the fact that it doesn't resorb, so it maintains that 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 height. So again, we're, we're not sat here saying biomaterials don't have any place whatsoever. Uh, they just need an appropriate usage. That's that that's what it comes down to. But you know, a lot of people turn a lot of these companies turn around and say, well, it's as good as BioWAS. But we've already said that, you know what? BioWAS sometimes you're going 20 years later, hasn't turned over into bone. If you're going to compare it to something, you need to compare it to the true gold standard, which is um split bone block technique. That's what it needs. So it needs to be compared to Prof Curry's technique. And uh and these are the questions that and and I say this, and it's not, you know, I'm not having a go at any company. I understand that all of these companies are in business, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But what they're relying on, uh, implant companies as well, is they are relying on your average dentist accepting what they get told or just looking at an abstract and going, uh, an abstract from an article and saying, yeah, that's good. Whereas, you know, an abstract is nothing. You need to go into the, because sometimes an article can be really poor because it's manipulated in X, Y, Z way, but you read the abstract and it sounds absolutely fantastic. So we need to look at the the, the real data. And as you quite rightly said as well, sometimes it's, you know, the more I learn, the more I think to myself, how the hell does any of this actually work? Because there's so many factors working against us. But simply, it's like, it's almost like the luckier I tend I, I tend to get as well. It's actually quite a a a, 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 a humbling uh, process as well. Um, but you know, it's I think as a minimum, dentists should have in their armamentarium the ability to 
um, do ridge preservation with autogenous and to do very s simple grafting with autogenous. Okay, just as you would with any biomaterial, you know, the, the, there's the, there's a cutoff point where the basics need to be covered. And if you don't want to do the rest because you're not comfortable with it, cool, send it out to somebody else or have somebody else come into in, into your practice. That's fine. But, we, you know, we need to have the basics done and particularly in the maxilla, um, particularly when, when I'm using like a vascularized rotated uh, CT flap as well. The flap that I need to raise there, I just harvest bone from the palate. I love bone from the palate. Okay, it's just phenomenal bone. It's it, it's it's autogenous. It's cortical. It's you know the regeneration that I get from that. It's just absolutely crazy. So you know what? Is if I've got a tooth where tooth's coming out, immediate implants going in, and I want to boost the the soft tissue biotype by doing a, a rotated flap. It's like, hang on, the flap's already there. I just need another 30 seconds of autogenous bone harvesting and I've got autogenous everywhere. So sometimes it's just thinking how we approach these cases um, as opposed to just, just, just going through the motions. And as you said, you know, the, the, the reasons why, why we're here is, you know, we've kind of like had very similar career traje trajectories and, you know, both of us about the same time, we started to gravitate back towards autogenous and uh you know we just wanted to share with everybody kind of like our our um uh, our, our journeys really and as i said it's you know i'm 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 happy with the results that i'm getting uh you know i'm doing bone core techniques is getting very 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 nice results with it again bone core technique listen uh, i know some people call it carrot or carota technique i don't know why it doesn't sit well with me it doesn't That's, look like a carrot though does it does it look nothing yeah. like a carrot I mean, bone core sounds cool yeah. and again <laughs> this is a technique um uh, devised by prof curry so it's such a genius technique um from 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 such an amazing surgeon and it you know it just makes sense that you, you know, you use these special Meisinger trephines, you take mm -hmm. out the bone core where you're going to be placing the implant anyway. So actually there isn't a second, uh, a, a second site and you just fixate it to, to the outside. And, you know, it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful technique. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's, that's why Oz and I are here today just to kind of like share with you our, um, uh, our journey away from and back towards autogenous. Yeah, I mean, I, this is the thing. Like, there's there's so many so many aspects of this. I mean, one of the things that I uh, I kind of like is um, saving a patient from having to have you know um, extensive treatment. is is one of the things that I just absolutely love doing. I see patients. Um, you know, I saw a patient the other day. Um, she's basically got um, a bridge um, upper left uh, four to six and um the forward split basically right so around the uh you know it's got that typical kind of appearance you got bone around the four it dips around where the five is right so there's basically there's no the sinus dips right down and then it comes back up around the six right so i'm like i just said to her do you know what we'll take these out we'll take some bone you know from the ramus we'll put it in there and um you know um if you know, if it goes to plan, then there's cortical plate all the way around this bone. It's completely sealed off. If uh, if we can resurrect this site, then it's going to save you having to have a sinus lift. 
because if I can, you know, I know those the roots around the uh, around the, the four and the root around the six there is, you know, 13 mils long. And, you know, even if I even if I lose 10 percent, 15 percent, whatever, I've got autogenous bone around the whole thing. And, you know, we just we basically just done this, you know, um, recently. And, um, you know, I've, I've managed to place implants in both those sites there with autogenous grafting. And, you know, the plan is obviously we're going to place a bridge on there later on. No sinus lift, no nothing. Because I know she's got from the from the scan, I know she's got like so much bone around there. Why am I bothering then subjecting her to a more difficult surgery, doing a sinus lift, you know, bone graft? That's when, you know, when people talking about, oh, uh, second site morbidity, or you know, you're gonna give the patient more morbidity. Do you know what? The sinus lift is gonna give them a lot, right? That's gonna give them a lot of pain and yeah. discomfort. <laughs> but you know, if I lift the ramus and I take a bit of bone and I just and I just put it in there. I've saved that lady a sinus and I've saved her money as well. And they think you're some kind of hero because it's like, you know what? They saved me from this dreaded sinus lift that I've read on Google is the worst possible yeah. thing ever. You know, that that actually, for, for me, that really uh, makes me satisfied in doing treatment. I've, I've done, I do so many of these now where I'm literally just like, I can see the bone around, let's graft it, go back in there, straightforward placement, you know? It's just, it's just I my think, protocol. Um, yeah. I'll, t I'll, t I'll tell you what it just reminded me of. And everybody's going to be able to relate to this. Yeah. Anybody who places a, a, any number of implants is going to be related to this. Occasionally, maybe two, three times a year, you'll come across a patient where they'll turn around and say, I had a tooth taken out two years ago. The space is driving me mad. And uh, it's normally an upper or lower six. And they say that, um, you know, you, you're, uh, they say, you know, I'm, I'm here because I want to have an implant put in place. And your immediate thought is, oh, God, it's taken out two years ago. There's going to be some bone loss. But you look, and clinically, it looks really good. And then you've got this nervousness inside you that, you know, okay, it looks good clinically, but how much of that is just a ridiculously thick soft tissue and the rest of, you know, is it going to be reconstruction? And you take your PA or your CBCT, and you know what? There it is. That beautiful healed ridge that you know is going to take you five minutes to put an implant in and you can do it flapless <laughs> if you want. So what we're talking about is we are talking about trying to recreate that predictability with 100% autogenous bone. Because you know, in those cases where the patients had their tooth taken out a couple of years ago, the ridge is all like fully healed with no bone loss or anything. What have you got there? Autogenous. And we know that, what do we say? We say the bone gods are, are smiling at me today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we're, we're trying, just trying to recreate that with a bit more predictability. Yeah, so that that's yeah. that's that, that with all you were talking that it just kind of reminded me of that really yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> just sometimes it's just, and this is this is mainly because of the fact i think the main reason why i've gone around that route is because i'm you know i'm a visiting surgeon and i just go around all these and then sometimes yeah. i'm just like i, I don't i don't want to do a difficult treatment I don't want to do a treatment there that is somebody is going to have to check who may not have the skill, knowledge or ability to look at and maintain. I want to make it simple and I want to go in there, do the treatment, easy to maintain for the patient. You know, um, there's no there's no risk of dislodging any grafting material or anything there later on. It's just pure autogenous, straightforward case you know, uh, 40 odd minutes to place an implant and then, and then that's it. And, you know, the uh, it's for me, when I first started it, it was difficult to do. 
and it's difficult to get your mind around actually doing it. But then, you know, after you do it there for a while, you're actually like, ah, I can do this. This is straightforward. And then you do it more and more and more and more. And then suddenly it's like, okay, fine. I'm just going to do it easy, you know? Uh, and that's the, that's the kind of route that I want, you know, the, the delegates to, to be going down. That's the kind of, uh, if I, if I hope I, we can convey something across there to them, it's like, you know, w we can make this. So this is as predictable as possible there for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's like because I was first introduced to Automax Spurs uh, by Avic when he was mentoring me when I was working at his practice, and uh, you know Avic's a phenomenal surgeon, and he just goes watch how easy it is to harvest uh, autogenous bone, and he just went bang 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 with the Automax bone. He goes, look how much bone we have got, and I was like, is that yeah. it? And he goes, yep. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's like, like okay. literally like <laughs> it's like ten seconds. So uh, I did say earlier I was going to talk about this tonight, but I'd, I'd just briefly just say what it is an automat spur is a is a tree fine um a modified tree fine um with a um with a cutting tip um and it has a stopper on it right so basically it's got a four mil stopper so if you're if you're doing if you check from cbct there before you can pretty much safely go into external ridge with no real problem i'm not going to say every single time because you know those cases there where you've got a, a very lateral nerve you need to check from cbct but uh, generally it is literally just like okay go in there like if you use it once you got half a cc right you know that's that's i would that's pretty much most of my pre-molars and incisors half a cc right then because yeah. i'm bulking this out with with prf as well right so you know I, I don't even need that much um the other times there is if you're doing you know if you're doing you know bigger teeth there or, or more size you go in there two three times but literally you go when I first started doing this, I was doing this at like 150 RPM and I was like, oh, it's a bit, you know, it's scary or whatever. <laughs> and now it's just like 500 RPM, boom, go in there, do it because it's it becomes second nature. It's that, you know, I, I've heard you on the podcast talking about muscle memory a lot, you know, building up that muscle mm. memory, you know, building up that kind of um, you know, that that kind of um thing where it just becomes second nature to to do it. Um and you know, I, I'm I I think that's one of the things there that is lost quite a bit with, with our kind of generation of surgeons. Like, you know, um, my, you know, I've told you this story before about my, my, you know, my grandfather who was, he used to sit on the, um, you know, uh, he was a, he's a plastic surgeon used to sit on the, on the dining table and he could suture with both hands. Like he, he would literally, yeah. he had a piece of leather and he would literally be suturing like that and then suturing like this. And it'd be like, you know, I, I wouldn't really know what he was doing. Um, but, you know, my dad would, would be like, yeah, you know, he's, he's like, you know, uh, he's practicing suturing and stuff. And it's like, this is a man who was in his 50s who's been practicing in medicine for a very long time, doing surgery for a long time. He's still on the table doing this kind of thing. And for us, we kind of think, oh, we don't need to do that. That's, you know, why, why do we need to do that? That's easy stuff. But it's just that it's just that mentality of, of being like, I have to constantly train my brain into making this complete second nature um and you know um that that's what that's in effect what we want to be teaching the the, the people there who are, who are coming yeah Uz, thanks for joining me this evening mate um that's good yeah so always good to speak to you uh so a few bits just before we wrap up for anybody who wants to know more about the course 
you can reach out to either myself or Usman um, uh, on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram as well. The course is being run through JNS Davis, so you can go directly to them as well. And I'm also really happy to announce uh, my website's been updated as well, academyofimplantexcellence.com. And I'm rather happy with it. It looks really, really good. It's a good, good. website. It's a good it, website. It's really, really nice, yeah. So it, there's, there's payment options for the Ultimate Implant Online course uh, uh, where, where you just sign up straight away. You can split the payment over six months. And I'm really excited to be going to Cuba with a handful of the delegates later on in the year as well. So, yeah, it's it's really it's really uh, uh, exciting and, and and busy. So it's uh, it's I'm I'm happy with the way that the academy's building. I'm putting a lot into it, mate. It's turning out to be a monster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Thought- I thought all three modules are going to be finished by now, or we're just coming to the end of the essentials. I, I've module. said, I've said there before. I was, I was like, mate, maybe I, you know, could you just give me some access to this? I just, I might just actually read through this whole thing, you know, just refresh the knowledge and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's kind of is extremely, extremely comprehensive. The, the one thing is, I, I would say, is that every time you learn something, you put that in. So yeah. like, you know, every time our, our mentors are telling us certain things there, you're like conveying that. So it's constantly updating and, and refreshing itself. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm happy with it. Well, thank you very much for joining me, mate. Uh, folks, thank you very much for listening as well. Uh, and the next podcast, I've already had an idea what, what, what I'm going to discuss. I'm going to discuss the best implant system on the planet. So you're going to learn. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to hear my thoughts on what I think is the best uh, implant system on the planet. And I may even record that tomorrow. We never know. So that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for joining. No worries, dude. Thank you, Titani Nerds, for listening in. And please share the podcast with friends. I don't care even if they're not dentists. You know, if if you've got got friends and family who are in a completely different profession, still get them to listen in. I don't care. It helps me out. Uh, If you give a like, thumbs up, whatever it is, it's always very much appreciated. And uh, thank you again. Thank you for listening in. And I'll speak to you folks soon.